everybody. For the second game in a row, a red card ultimately determined sales fortunes at the weekend. However, this time, it was the Sharks who were on the wrong end of the referee's decision, as Jean-Luc Dupree's permanent stim bidding in the 39th minute proved decisive, and sale went down 20 points to 13 away at Worcester on Saturday. Despite a strong first-half showing, playing a full second 40 upended the odds against Sale, who were count themselves lucky to escape six ways with a point, but who were also be disappointed to have not taken all four points on offer. My name is Lewis. Welcome back inside the Shark Tank. Uh, joining, joining me to discuss the dichotomy of sales loss on Saturday are my co-hosts, Alex and James. Alex, how are you? Yes, good, mate. Looking forward to another season of mediocrity. So, you know, can't can't complain. How are you? Uh, very much in the same vein, where it feels like we're, we're stuck in an endless cycle of winning one uh, and losing one. Uh, James, how are you? Well, mediocre, but we can't say that it's not interesting being a Cell fan. So, uh, plenty to talk about on a podcast. And not every club's got a, a fan podcast, but there's always plenty to talk about being a Cell fan. Well, there absolutely is. And before we do some three-word reviews, let's start with the defining moment of Cell's game on, on Saturday, which I think we can all agree was Jean-Luc Dupree's red card in, in the 39th minute. Uh, Alex, from your perspective... Do you think the referee has made the right decision in sending uh, Dupree off, or do you think there might have been a bit of leeway that he could have afforded uh, the sale lock? Uh, no, I think under the guidelines, it's a red card, isn't it? Um, they're the rules you, you play to. It's sort of whether whether the rule is entirely right. I think in this case, I do think it's a red card. He's made direct contact with the head with his shoulder. You can't really... Um, there's not enough mitigation there for me for anything other than a red card. I don't think it's massively malicious. I think it's sort of a typical someone supporting a carrier into contact, um, but it's just gone really wrong. And, you know, um, it's a bit of a shame. But, yeah, it's, it's definitely a red card. Um, as I say, I personally didn't think it was malicious. I'm sure there's Worcester fans out there with a different view. Um but yeah, 100% the red card under the guidelines and they're the rules we're playing to. For me, what about you? Uh, no, I mean, I absolutely agree. Um, I think small mitigating factors, Kitchenino is sort of leaning in a little bit, but like you said, the, the rules are very, very clear, shoulder to the head. You know, it's a red card. And it's interesting watching it back because you can see it all comes about because he actually overruns the support run uh, for uh, Kearney Eustace, who's going into the, the, the tackle with the ball. Um, and he gets his feet just, you know, one or two steps ahead of Ustez and, and that's ultimately sort of why he ends up in a position that he does and, and clattering into to Kitchener. Uh, James, I mean, I'm assuming that, that you're going to uh, agree with both myself and Alex in, in agreeing that it was a, a clear red card for Jean-Luc. Yeah, I mean, even if it wasn't a red in the laws of the game, I think I would have just sent him off for stupidity anyway, uh, just to make sure he was no longer on the pitch. Um, so, yeah, just pretty dumb, really. Pretty innocuous. You know, it, it, I agree there was no intention to to hurt, but it was just quite lazy running. And uh, ultimately, you know, it's kind of, you know, not ill-intentioned, but lazy and cost us to get a game of rugby. So it's quite high uh, impact, really, on, on the result of the game. So for that reason, you know, that, I think that is, 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 it's not just disappointing and frustrating. It makes me a little bit angry as well um, because there's a lot of players putting in a lot of effort on that pitch on at the weekend and uh, just that small little act of just laziness has just cost us the game 
Yeah, I would not have fancied being John Luke on the, the team bus back up uh, to Manchester after the game. Uh, unsurprisingly, uh, from the three-word reviews that, that our listeners have been sending in earlier today, uh, that red card is a, a recurring theme. And we just picked out a couple to sort of give a glimpse into how other cell fans have, have taken Saturday's result on board. Uh, Matt Arrowsmith, frustration setting in. Max Boyle, before red, comfortable. Oliver Kahn, not good enough. Jack Marshall, so bloody frustrating. Smallsy, uh, red changed game. Ian Leslie, line out is concerning. Natasha Brody, another lockdown. And then Mike at O'Reilly 1 says still in fifth. Uh, James, obviously, we've, we've all made it clear what we thought about the, the sort of defining moment of the game, that, that red card for Dupriya. But given the context around uh, Dupriya sending off, the fact it comes in the 39th minute, the fact that Sale played with 14 men for the rest of the game, do you think that the losing bonus point that Sale picked up on Saturday should be considered a point gained? Or do you think, given how well Sale were performing in the first half, it's three points lost? Well, it's both, isn't it? I mean, it really is. And that's not ducking out. I mean, it is genuinely both. I mean, it's three points lost in the sense that if we hadn't had somebody sent off, we would have won. Uh, probably, it's probably four points lost, to be honest. Uh, you know, two tries under our belt. You know, we, we, we looked comfortable maybe to go on and, and dominate the second half and put the squeeze on. Um, but given the fact that we actually played 50, 50 minutes um, with 14 men, you know, I, I don't think you can expect anything more than a losing bonus and uh, getting that kick towards the end and then holding on at the death. You know, I think going away with something, you know, stopped it from being a, a complete disaster. So absolutely both and confident in that answer. <laughs> yeah, Alex, what did you make of uh, what did you make of the result on Saturday? Yeah, James makes a good point. You know, uh, thirty nine minutes or whatever it was, you're thinking. If if you'd got told that result, you'd you'd be looking at, well, how have we managed not to win this game? Um, but I do, I do think you know, in the context of losing a man, and then playing forty minutes against a good Worcester side with fourteen men, um, point gained. You know, I, I I think you can argue about the overall result, but in the context of that game and the way it was played, definitely point gained. Um, in the context of where we should be. Yeah, I, I agree we should be winning away at Worcester. I think we're good enough. I think the squad is good enough. Um, I think there's no, there's not many more sort of levers. We could, there's only probably a couple of levers left to pull in terms of coaching staff. But, you know, we can't... We're not going to get a better squad than we have already, really. Um, you know, yes, we've had a couple of injuries, but realistically, this is where we are now. We're spending to the cap. Um, we should be beating Worcester away. So, in that sense, yeah, three points lost, four points lost. But um, in the in the context of looking at that game, how it was played, um, honestly, to come out with a losing bonus point, playing forty minutes with with fourteen men and being only four points up at half time, I think is is a good sort of a good result for us, but. It's a wider issue of we should be performing better, but I think that's a different conversation to this game. Um, so for me, this game, 1.1. Uh, but I know that you know people's expectations rightly sort of dictate that they say three points lost. I don't, know, I don't think that's very fair. You know, We tweeted before the game that it felt like this was another sort of a uh, chance for Sale to kick on and really sort of entrench their position in the in the, the top four with, with a win over a good Worcester side, but a team that we should be expecting to beat 
if we are going to be a, a serious top four contender. Uh, James, do you think that this result then is ultimately the more even more frustrating because of actually how well Sale played in, in, in the first half? You know, possession, territory, relatively equal, but Sale, you know, played very well to defend the, the Simon Hammersley yellow card on 20 minutes. They were opportunistic in defence, you know, with De Klerk, you know, uh, running the length of the field with an intercept try. Um, and then obviously, you know, a fantastic team move, probably the best bit of attacker play we've put together all season, which saw um, Chris Ashton go over in the corner off the off first phase ball. Do you think that sort of adds to the sense of frustration in, in what is what feels like a, like a massive opportunity for sale lost? Definitely. I, I couldn't agree more with that. You know, I think that, that um, second half of the first half was actually the best that we've played all season in terms of starting to click, you know, really starting to find our own rhythm as a team and that the sort of pace that we want to play, you know, we use defence as an attacking weapon. That's why we score so many intercept tries. Um, but we got some fluidity going. That Ashton try was absolutely fabulous. Um, and, and, you know, it was probably... The, the best that we've looked all season really so I thought here we go we're really starting to put the squeeze on you know our superior players to Worcester Worcester fight hard like everybody else but you know we're going to just going to make this count now in the second half as you said that entrenches in the top four we then go um, into um, back-to-back games against Exeter in the Champions Cup with you know a sort of you know gander up and, and then off we go instead you know we sort of pretty disappointed and 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 uh, a bit further down the table than we should be you know played 5-1-2 it is not good enough return it has been good that we've got losing bonus points in all the games that we've lost but they're they're all games that we we probably you know should should be winning really with the side that that we have so going now into those back-to-back games against Exeter happens has a slightly different complexion um, in that we could be returning to the Premiership with uh, you know three losses in a row. I, you know I don't want to be, be necessarily too negative, but you know there's nowhere to hide in the Champions Cup, and Exeter are looking bloody good. So it does put a different complexion onto the momentum of our season. You know whatever happened in the Champions Cup with Exeter, we'd still be going into the Premiership thinking, by God, we are we're within with a shout of a you know a home uh, semi final at this rate um, but now we're, we're worried about perhaps um, being beaten up in the next two weeks and not taking the momentum in so huge opportunity lost no doubt about it you know if you told me at the beginning of the season that we would have you know be on the same points as Irish and Worcester would be above us um, then I, you know we wouldn't have had much uh, not many of us would have had down a good start to the season on our list would we I think that, that that's a really good point, actually, about Irish and Worcester. And A, it speaks to how competitive the league is shaped up to be again. And B, it reiterates one opportunity lost that this, this was, given that with the result, Worcester actually leapfrogged Sale into into the top four. So Worcester are fourth with 13 points from, from five games. And Sale are now fifth with, with 12 points on on uh, from five games. And obviously, to be fifth after you know five games is you know is, is a pretty decent start to the season. And like you said, James, we picked up points in every single one of our losses this year. Granted, we've got more losses than wins, but it is encouraging that we've, we've already nearly accumulated a wins worth of uh, of losing bonus points. There's some there's some consolation there, but you then sort of dig deeper into the games that we've played, who we've played, when we've played them, and the fact that you know bottom of the table at the moment is Saracens who are basically locked in for a top four, if not a top two place every single season. And all of a sudden, you look at Sale being in fifth after five games, and they're like, well, well, yeah, we should be in the top six. Look at the squad we've assembled. Look at who we've played. 
look at the fact that the Saracens are going to be below us for the rest of the season because of their points deduction. Not only should we be in the top six, we should be in the top four. And actually, we should be up there with Northampton, Bristol and Exeter um, in, in, in the top three positions based on strength of schedule and obviously the quality that we've got in our squad. And, and yet again, it just doesn't seem to be clicking. And I think there's there's certain times you can point to it potentially being an issue with, with coaching. But then you look at a game like Saturday's and, and a game that is ultimately marred by, by sort of one act of ill discipline. And all of a sudden you just think, you know, is this going to be a season where we're going to miss on a, miss out on a massive opportunity to become that top four team we keep talking about because we just can't seem to put together a consistent performance over the eighty minutes. Alex, what do you what, what do we what do you sort of make of of where Sale are in the table at the moment in terms of of, of Saturday's result and the context around it and how once again we're sort of left for, you know another round into the season thinking when is it all going to click for Sale to really push on? Yeah, it's massively frustrating, isn't it? Because you go. We're one win away. We're one sort of gaff tackle away. We're one, um, you know, attacking ball going to hand away from probably being, if not top four, certainly you know top of the table. You know, we are we aren't far off. And you know, the point of us getting losers and bonus points in all these matches is that little things would change those victories. You know, Jean Luc doesn't get a red card. Rob Dupria kicks that kick against Gloucester. Um, you know there are there are things within each of those matches in the Bristol match. You know we're, we're not at no point we're being far off, but at the same time it feels like we're quite far away because I just don't think our attacking game is there. And I think you know as, as we say, it's so the frustrating thing about this game is that it, we thought, oh, here we go, we've got two tries in the first half, we're finally clicking, we've got all our you know we've got our best players back. We, we're going to see the sale that sort of we've been promised and we've been hoping for. And actually it just all gets, it all gets ruined with a red card. And, you know, it's, it's so, I think our poor performances are being disguised by the fact that the league is in a bit of a weird place this season, because you, you look at, it's almost upside down, isn't it? With Leicester and, and Wasps at the bottom. And obviously, as you rightly say, Lewis, that's Sarri's um, sort of anomaly. You know, we should be at the moment at the top. And we said at the start of the season, should we lose a premiership game before Christmas? Maybe not. And actually, you know, we're nowhere near that. We've, we've just not performed to a good enough standard. So I think it's really frustrating. And there's only so long you can... I, th- I still think we're in the stage of we can't pass a final judgment yet on what is causing it and that it's a bad season. But if it carries on like this, it is going to be a bad season because other teams are going to pick up. You know, Leicester and Wasps aren't going to be this poor all season. They're not. Leicester haven't had their England internationals. Um, Sarries are going to have a real push this season. Bath have got to click at some point because they've got a lot of good players. And it's sort of, you know, are we, are we going to be able to match them and? pick up our performances when it counts because at the moment we've had a lot of easy fixtures not performed not got the results and then we're coming into harder fixtures where we're not expected to get results but actually we're just going to start to slide down the table um so i do think i think it's it's a massive sort of disguise that we're in the top six at the moment i don't think we're anywhere near top six quality and i think that that's the frustrating thing we're no worse than last season um, and I think, you know, maybe we're even marginally better, but we should be so much better. And our expectations are that much higher that 
actually where we are now is quite frustrating as a as a sale fan as someone who's watched the team for a long time. I think you make a good point there about the fact that the, the, the worrying thing as well is that we're definitely not worse than, than last year. On paper, in terms of depth, we are a much stronger team and we are seeing that a little bit start to come through in terms of how we're using our bench. But it is, I think, pertinent to note that Worcester, as evidenced by them being fourth, are better this year. London Irish uh, are going to be better than, than the Newcastle were last year. You know, obviously that's offset by Watson Tigers struggling a little bit, and obviously Saracens being at the bottom. But you do start to think, well, other teams are starting to push on, and whilst whilst other teams like Wasps, like Tigers, are, are falling away a little bit, there's there's a really good opportunity to make that leap that we just don't seem to be to be taking. And and then you come back to well, if we've got this strong squad, well, where <laughs> where do the issues lie? And the fact that we've, we've I don't think we've scored over 30 points in a, a single game this season. Um, we've got picked up one try bonus point. That our offense, in, in particular, was really starting to struggle. Is uh, you know is 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 a major red flag. Um, and I think it doesn't help that actually, like you said, James, we have two very tough games against Exeter in the Champions Cup, which could very quickly become a distraction for us if uh, you know if if Glasgow pick up their performances in their home and home with La Rochelle and and. Um, uh, Exeter, you know, sort of wipe the floor with us both home and away. That could become a bit of a distraction. And you come back into the Premiership and you've got Northampton at home next on the bill. And last year we we sort of scraped to a you know you know to a to an okay victory over a team that wasn't playing that great. This year Northampton looked like well they have been the best team in the league this year and they're top of the table. And all of a sudden you. you that sort of easy easy start to the season begins to sort of slip away, and all and we, we begin to play teams like Northampton, yeah, you know, like Exeter, and then obviously teams like Harlequins, Bath, Wasps, Tigers, who are starting to get internationals back, and who aren't, um, you know, who, who are going to be a lot more difficult to you know to grind out results against. And we, we've had quite a soft start, really. That we I don't think we've necessarily um, accumulated points at the rate that we should have done based on our strength of schedule. But I don't want to be too negative um, overall. Obviously, we, we're going to have to chalk this game off as a bit of a anomaly. You can't really glean too much from it. Even looking at Worcester's, uh, Worcester's tries and, and the, the manner in which Worcester ultimately beat Sale, it's just a case of going through the phases, keeping hold of the ball, and eventually the Sale defence down a man would, you know, would, would will and the opportunities would arise. But one thing I wanted to ask you, James, was just about the team in general and obviously we, we're starting to see some glimpses come through and we're starting to see you know some good attacking play some good defensive play which now Alex will back us up with some stats in, the, in a minute but do you think that the team is now beginning to get a little bit more settled and do you think we've started to hit on either our first choice team or at least the, the sort of first choice 23 that could rotate in or out Okay, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that necessarily it's about the starting 23. You know, we talked about this in the season preview. It's about rotating. And I think with international call-ups and injuries, you know, it'll just be selecting the best team for the game that's in front of us. And you've got to pick on form as well and people playing at the peak of their abilities. What I would say is that the selection, I think, was very good um, for the weekend and that that team did definitely start to click. As I said, in that second half of the first half, it really started to look like we were starting to find our rhythm and found our find our little niche as a team. I mean, don't 
don't forget and do not underestimate how difficult it's going to be to integrate all of these new signings in one go, plus we've had people coming back from the World Cup. It's not easy to do. Plus, there's lots more egos than there was and, and all the rest of it. So, you know, managing the squad is going to be important. Picking on form, you know, bringing Morozov in for, for Harrison, definitely the right decision, for example. And little things like that, I think it'll be important moving forwards. Sam James coming back from injury. I think he'll probably take his place at outside centre and Van Rensburg move in one um, for the Exeter game. Equally, you know, we know we've got Dan Dupree coming back into the team and he's been playing pretty pretty well this year. So I don't think it's about the top 23, but we're definitely starting to, I think, find our, our place as a, as a team and, and get our rhythm right this week. So fingers crossed, we don't let what's happened get to us. And we're able to take that into the extra performance and and put in something you know quite special to to beat them at home. So you don't think we should continue with Rob Dupree at twelve, which is kind of what I wanted to get at with with this question. You know, given that that was sort of the most eye catching um, selection decision made once again by the by the Sale coaching team ahead of uh, Saturday's game. Um, and obviously, I know, like you said, that there are a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of World Cup winners, uh, World Cup players, and, and, and sort of top tier internationals to integrate back into the team. But I, I did want to sort of pause very briefly on Rob Dupree, who I thought that sort of the one key moment of the game, aside from John Luke's red card, that I think is worth discussing, um, is that obviously that fantastic first phase um, piece of play, you know, De Klerk picking the ball off the back of the, uh, of the scrum, taking it to the line, getting the ball out quick to Dupree, who puts in a perfect kick. That, to me, sort of encapsulated all the sort of sort of potential that we keep talking about, the decisiveness, the attacking creativity, the structure play that we want to play with. I thought we saw that from Dupree at 12 on Saturday. We, we've seen Van Rensburg make a big impact in games at 12, uh, at 12 or 13, so he seems pretty comfortable there. You know, you know, can you sort of envision us, you know, going long-term with Dupree at all? Because to me, I think he his sort of selection there is perhaps symptomatic of how the coaching staff are starting to find solutions to, to what you mentioned before, James, which is how to integrate all these top-class players into one starting team cohesively together. Well, I think we'll rotate. I think he'll play some games at 12 and he'll play some games at 10. You know, the whole point of having him is to have competition at 10 and make sure that McGinty's playing to his absolute peak as well. So, you know, Van Rensburg can play at 13, he can play at 12. We've got Sam James, got Luke James, uh, got. Uh, uh, Cameron Redpath as well, so I think we'll see, we'll see them all. I, I don't think we need to be too heads up on what is our first choice side. I think that Rob Dupree had, had a good game at uh, the weekend. I wouldn't be surprised to see him continue continue at twelve and Van Rensburg at thirteen until we need to make another change. I don't think McGinty's been absolutely smashing it, but he is kicking the goals, um, and that's why he. I think he's in the team at the moment. Um, so I, I, I don't think it's. You know, massive dis- discussion point, really, to be honest. I think he played well at 12. It's good to know that he can play there and he can also defend there. I think that was that's probably the, the thing that we're, we're asking um, the most. But, uh, you know, we'll definitely want to get Sam James back into the team as well, won't we? But probably McGinty, uh, Rob Dupree, Sam James, there is not enough go forward. So, you know, when Rob Dupree moves back to 10 and gives has a game there or needs a break, then Van Rensburg move in one, Sam James play at 13. I think that's a, that's a really 
pertinent and sort of useful way of, of, of looking at, at how we're going to rotate the team. And obviously, we can sort of argue back and forth uh, about players based on the eye test, you know, for, for the next hour if we wanted to. But obviously, we need to back that up a little bit with some statistical analysis. And that's obviously where I think Alex can come in now with some stats based on uh, sales game at Worcester on Saturday. Yes, thanks, mate. Uh, not pretty reading, really, um, as expected. Um, possession and territory both around 40%, um, which is sort of a false start, really, given that um, the whole game was completely changed by by that red card. Um, but to pull out some of the more positive ones, defensively, again, we're pretty sound, some absolutely superhuman performances. Um, so we made 180 tackles as a team, missed 26 uh, for a completion rate of 87%. Uh, some individual performances out there which just um, are amazing. Tom Curry, 25 tackles, none missed. Ben Curry, 20 tackles, one missed. John Ross, 18 tackles, three missed. Uh, Acker and um, the front row in total made 25. Acker made 10. Um, whereas, you know, AJ at 10, making 10 tackles. Um, it was just a really, really sort of strong defensive performance which I think speaks to that getting the losing bonus point out there and in fact Sale did have the top five tacklers in the whole game um, in the two curries Ross Ross Harrison off the bench with 11 and McGinty with 10 um, attacking wise obviously we were a little bit stifled um, so Fafta Kalik our highest metre maker with 81 metres and in fact the highest metre maker in the game um, overall, the team made 246 metres off 79 carries, uh, which comes in at just over an average of three metres per carry. Worcester, on the other hand, uh, made 420 metres off 155 carries. So actually less metres per carry, but obviously you can see there the impact of um, that red card and just being able to dominate possession and dominate our defence. Um Surprisingly, discipline actually not that bad in a game where we got a red and a yellow card. We conceded eight penalties to Worcester's nine, which on the road isn't bad for us. You know, historically, we've looked at double figures at least for penalty count. Um, so that's a bit of a positive, I think, from this season. Generally, our discipline seems to be improving. Um, and when we're giving away penalties, it's it's less sort of, you know, unnecessary. And there are still some unnecessary ones in there. So once we get rid of those, that should be quite a positive, uh, positive return. Uh, dare I speak about lineouts? I'll try um, six out of ten from the lineout. Aka van der Merwe actually four out of five, so not that bad. Rob Webber one out of four, and I think that might be that difference there. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing that maybe we're not quite getting that same consistency from the Webber Evans combo that we did last season. Um, and then finally, on scrums, also not a bad return. Um, lost one out of nine, so 89% there. Um, and then just some other sort of top-level highlights. Um, Worcester just battered us on 13 offloads to our two, 26 defenders beaten to our 13. And I think that sort of, again, speaks to just the domination of possession by them, allowing them to completely run the game. Um, so, unsurprisingly, a week where the stats are completely one-sided and don't actually show us that much of the game, but at the same time, you know, we are we're seeing good things come out of these stats every week. And now that the attacking structure is starting to get going, I think this defensive sort of solidity and rigidity will really help us when we our attack actually gets going. Um, so, yeah, um, not not the most positive week, but 
there's always room for improvement and there's always optimism. Yeah, it should, should carry out that line-out start as well. The fact, the fact of the matter was, um, by the end of the game, you know, we, we were having Matt Postlewaite function as our sort of primary uh, line-out caller, and obviously for someone who's who's relatively green in terms of you know first-team experience, and it's a you know difficult situation for him to be in. And I'm obviously not blaming him at all, but the fact is we lost uh, out of those four lineouts that we lost. Three of them were in the last sort of five or ten minutes, where doubly frustrating. We we won a couple of scrum penalties, won a couple of turnovers. This is whilst the game's at twenty points to thirteen, uh, and Worcester are actually on the attack to to, to you know to try and get a uh, another another try. Um, and we you know we'd win the ball back, you know, Herculean effort, you know, to, to squeeze a scrum penalty or whatever, and we'd kick to kick to touch and then we just we just lost three in a row um in terms of um you know uh, either the Worcester player getting up first or just just you know some poor uh line out calls and obviously you know I think that speaks to the fact that by the end of the game we had very few line out jumpers available um so you know there's there's some reason for optimism there that it's a very sort of um excusable uh, issue to some extent but at the same time it's doubly frustrating because they all happened right at the end of the game where actually um having won a scrum penalty or having won a turnover um we might have been able to sort of milk out some time on the clock or or gain a bit of key field position if we've been able to just uh, uh bring the ball down and then maybe set them all or or get some uh, first place play uh, going again so a little bit frustrating from 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 that side yeah totally and i think when when you look at the stats by half um we lost all four of those lineouts that we lost in the second half and it's sort of you know it's it's quite a stark contrast between halves as you would expect Worcester made 300 of their metres in the second half um, whereas we made we made more metres than them in the first half and in the second half we had 31 carries for 99 metres um, compared to their 102 carries for 298 metres so you can and you know there's such a bias in theirs to this, the second half defenders beating is 20 out of the 26 offloads 10 out of the 13 passes 100 out of the 150 uh, and their tackles go right down to 36 um, from 56 in the first half. Our tackles in the second half, 117. Um, so, yeah, you're completely right. It's it's really been skewed by sort of that, that second half performance and lose, losing, you know, uh, losing a second row and losing a player. You can see the difference there, can't you, in both the line out itself and then generally the the, the the overall game so you know if, if you take that first half in isolation um we were playing really well we beat Worcester we had a red card which happens sometimes um it's not a not a most clever red card in the world but you know these things happen so um let's focus on the positive of the first 39 minutes and let's never make the mistake of getting red carded again um that's the lesson for me and that's hopefully a lesson that we should apply to next week's game as well. So obviously, as we mentioned a little bit earlier in the podcast, Sale's next game uh, is the beginning of a home-and-home home series with Exeter Chiefs in the Champions Cup and, and making a very welcome return to the podcast after me and Alex waded through it last week uh, is James to give us a preview of, uh, of the Sharks' next game. Yeah, so we're back-to-backs against Exeter, just, you know, just uh, after a bad loss, then we're looking to get some form back against the Exeter Chiefs. 
Um, you know, it's going to be a tough one. It's not going to be a full review because, you know, Cups competition with only a couple of games into it. But, you know, look, Exeter had a reasonably slow start to the season after a good Premiership Cup campaign and went to the semis. You know, they're close wins at home to, uh, close wins at home to Quinns and away to Worcester. Um, then they had a close loss at Bath, despite Bath, you know, not really being in much form at all this year. But so I think they were coasting, to be perfectly honest, at the beginning of the Premiership season. Yes, they were missing a few to the World Cup, but not a huge amount. I think it was the loss at home to Bristol that's really kicked them into life. And since then, they have been just enormous. You know, wins in the Champions Cup away at La Rochelle, where they dismantled them, to be perfectly honest. And we know from our experience of La Rochelle that, you know, especially up front and their ability to play from anywhere, they are not a team to dismantle, especially in that cauldron at home. And then went back to back with a, a home win um, against Glasgow, where again, you know, they looked very comfortable and, and looked in a, a slightly different league, but slightly, you know, huge statement to be honest. And now topping the group with a maximum of ten points, so they'll be eyeing up the back to back games against us um, in order to position themselves well for a quarter final place, and, and, and probably, let's be honest, securing a, a home quarter final. So the onus is on on us really to try and turn the tide, uh, and it is a big. Um, tidal wave really of Exeter's form coming at us at the AJ Bell Stadium. Um, they were in dangerous form again in the second half against Wasp. I don't know if you guys uh, grabbed grab that. Um, so that yes, there couldn't really be a worse time to play them. Um, you know, so they've got the likes of Luke Cowan dicking back. Jack Knoll, Henry Slade, Nick uh, White's back in the World Cup as well. And I think he adds a real tempo at nine, a very different type of scrum half to Faf de Klerk. And they've got Phil Dolman back from um, reasonably long-term injury, which I think is big for them, giving security at the back. And O'Flaherty, I mean, he is just on absolute fire at the moment. Our wingers are going to have to watch him because he's got serious, serious gas in his legs. And we know what Exeter are going to bring. They're going to bring phase after phase after phase. We are well set up to defend and defend well. I think the issue for us is can we get enough possession? Because if we can get enough possession and we can play in the right parts of the uh, of the field, then we do have a chance um, against Exeter, especially at home with the players that we've got. But if we allow Exeter to go through the phases and grind us down, we'll eventually run out of steam. Our legs will start to go, and I imagine we'll start to concede in the final quarter of the game. Yeah, I mean, as you said, James, for, from one aspect, it's probably the worst time possible to, to play Exeter, given uh, their form and, and our relative lack thereof. And it's also not a great time to play them, given the fact that we're now down uh, two locks in uh, Beaumont and Ludiaga. Um, obviously, Dan Dupria didn't play at the weekend as a potential uh, sort of issue with with uh, with the concussion. I've been in concussion protocol, sort of lingers on. Um, presume I've not seen anything about Jean Luc Dupria not being eligible to play, so you presume that he would still be uh, available for selection. But obviously, uh, I'm not entirely sure how um, the suspension process works across both the Premiership and uh, Europe. Um, but obviously, he would be another loss if he wasn't able to play. And it comes at a time where, like like you said, James, you know exactly how Exeter are going to play. They're going to front up. Uh, they're going to try and dominate possession, dominate the contact area, uh, retain the ball and get the get the ball wide to a, a back line that's probably up there with, with one of Europe's best uh, in current form as well. So 
the, 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 the omens aren't great uh, for sale going into this game, but obviously there's always a chance and there's a chance that we might ultimately finally have that one performance where everything just seems to click for us, a la Saracens at home last season. So with that in mind, uh, Alex, based on the performances we've seen so far and based on the performance from the weekend, do you anticipate there being many changes in the uh, in the starting lineup and starting 23 for, for sale when they welcome the Chiefs to the AJ Bell on Sunday? No, I think um, a very similar team because I do think you know the coaching staff are starting to to get comfortable with this sort of um, play a certain slot in certain positions. I think they like the idea of Curry and Curry um, on the flank. I do think if Dan Dupree is back, we may see him, um, which may obviously then change that because you probably want to keep Johnny Ross in the team. Um, but no, I don't. I don't see a lot of the changes. I think the more we can get that sort of Van der Merwe with Evans combination working um, the better and I think the Champions Cup is the ideal sort of place to try that out um, in the backs I think McGinty and Dupree again it's good to give them a bedding in in a game where you know this is a competition where we do want to do well um, and we're not playing a weakened team but we're at least giving those sort of combinations the opportunity to to bed in a bit before the more important friendship games um, so now I don't see a massive amount of changes um, other than probably I think Jean-Luc Dupriam might end up being not eligible because I've got a feeling that the suspension process applies to both competitions um, and I'm saying that completely gut feeling so it could be completely wrong um, but for me yeah, I think I, I see probably Phillips coming in and then possibly onto the bench um, but other than that no I wouldn't change a lot I think you know the, we've got a really solid team I think they we saw on Saturday the sort of potential of this team. So hopefully they um, they stick together and, and keep it keep it as it was last week and, and we put in a good performance away at Exeter. Right, well, let's do some predictions. Um, as you may have gathered from the slightly intermittent changes in audio quality, we've actually been having a couple of technical issues this evening uh, and unfortunately you're now just stuck with myself as uh, unfortunately uh, Alex and James aren't quite able to get back on uh, to our recording software but they very helpfully left me with their uh, predictions for Sunday's game um, and unfortunately I don't necessarily have the detailed explanation for these but I'm sure you can sort of <laughs> gather the intent behind them. Uh, so from my side, uh, I'm predicting a victory for Exeter. Unfortunately, I think given the the form that the team are in at the moment, uh, for um, from from both the Chiefs' perspective and, and the Cell perspective, and given the strength of the Exeter uh, squad, it's really hard to see anything other than a than a, a solid, if not comprehensive, win for for the Chiefs on Sunday. Uh, so to that end, I'm going to go to Exeter 33, Sale 25. Hopefully a good game with a lot of tries. Uh, Alex has gone opted for something similar. He's gone for Exeter 29, Sale 15. Uh, and James has gone for Sale 22, Exeter 30. So for the first time this season, uh, all three of us are predicting uh, a, a loss for Sale. Fingers crossed. This will have the opposite effects of from most weeks when we do predict a sale win and ultimately uh, it doesn't quite come off for us. Just want to wrap up the podcast then um, with just a little a final sort of few tidbits. Um, and again, I want to apologise for Alex and James not being able to be, be with us. Um, obviously, Embrace Papier, uh, as of uh, Sunday, uh, has returned 
uh, to South Africa. His three-month loan from the Bulls officially ended on the 1st of December, um, so he's uh, rejoined the South African franchise uh, and will be participating for sale uh, for the rest of the season. Uh, akin to sort of Van Rensburg and and, uh, and uh, Jean-Luc and Rob Dupree last season, um, it remains to be seen sort of where Papier's sort of long-term future stands both in terms of South Africa and in terms of sale. Um, and it's hard not to envision a similar loan move um, or even a permanent deal not being being made for uh, his services ahead of uh, the following season. Obviously, we've spoken previously uh, about how that would necessarily fit into the current sort of crop of scrum halves at, at, at the club. We've declared firmly entrenched as, as the number one choice uh, some talented prospects, such, you know, such as Rafi Quirk and Gus War. Uh, waiting in the wings and obviously veteran presence of Will Cliff as well so it will be isn't necessarily a position need for sale at this point I think it's fair to say but obviously given that he was drafted in um, to cover for De Klerk during the World Cup made a, a pretty strong impression at its time it's, it's hard not to see Papier not making an appearance of some sort uh, in sale colours uh, in the future even if at the moment there is no concrete detail so we'd like to thank Ambrose for his service for, at sale I think uh, I think it's fair to say he's been a pretty steady contributor and obviously brought uh, a little bit of excitement and a little bit of a spark to the Sale team. And if nothing else, and he doesn't return to Sale for, uh, in the remainder of his playing career, we'll always have that glorious non-try against Wasps. The only other thing we wanted to mention was something that we announced on last week's podcast, uh, and that's obviously that we've joined up with Looseheads. Looseheads is a is a rugby leisure wear brand with its USP being that they sell every single one of their products helps fund the Looseheads Foundation, where 100% of the donations that they make are, are used to provide cash for people and charities who can make a difference all around tackling the stigma of mental health in rugby. It's a great cause. We're really excited to be working with them. We've got something really excited planned um, ahead of the festive season as we sort of march onwards into December. But if you're keen to support Loose Heads and Loose Heads Foundation and everything that those guys are working towards, uh, well, then we've got a special offer for you as a Shark Tank listener. You can get 15% off all products on their site, including some very cool hats and sweatshirts and tops. There's some really cool stash. And you can get 15% off with the code Shark Tank. And that's Shark Tank, all one word, all in capital letters. Check the guys out. They're, they're doing a great job. They're raising money for an extremely important issue, not just in rugby, but as part of wider society. Uh, and we're delighted um, to be working with them. And like I said, keep your eyes peeled for something a little bit exciting shortly before Christmas. So that's everything for the podcast this week. Uh, slightly bizarre uh, end. Uh, given that it's just me monologuing to finish the show. But I want to say a big thank you to, to James and Alex for joining me for as much of the podcast as they possibly could. I want to say a big thank you to the listeners. Thank you to everyone who tweeted us before, after, and during the Worcester game. You know, we do see all the tweets coming in and we do really appreciate the support and generating that conversation around, around the game, especially on match days and especially when the Sharks are away from home. I want to say, obviously, uh, a big thank you to, to everyone who's, who's listened today and, and contributes to Three Road Reviews um, and continues to support the Charlton Podcast. You know, we really appreciate the support that you guys give us and we appreciate you putting up with us even when we have some technical issues. So that, that's it for this week's podcast. Um, thanks, thanks, everyone, once again. Uh, and we'll speak to you next week after a win for sale at Home to Exeter. Thanks for listening.